Force History Podcast. Are you ready to learn, motherfuckers? All right, welcome to the Blunt Force History Podcast. My name is Devin, and I am joined by my awesome co-host, Ben. Hello, everyone. I am hey, Ben. How's it going? Oh, it's um, going great. This is the um, new version of Blunt Force History, all of two episodes in. Thank you for volunteering to be my co-host. Yep, no problem. Um, why, don't we t- why don't we start with a little bit about ourselves first, because that generally seems to be like pretty nice way to start so tell us about you ben what's going on um my name is ben of course uh i was in the marine corps now uh i am out after that i did the army national guard i'm also out of that uh all i do now is work on a horse farm and that's about it i mean i'm a massive huge nerd on anything zombie or star wars related and i'm trying to get into history so yeah that's about it for me cool man and he almost made me laugh yeah well, man. back to all the fucking time we spent wandering barnes and noble and all the other inside jokes and shit we had oh my gosh yeah uh, those when we were in lejeune <sighs> that was that was definitely interesting yeah um, oh. i am Devin, as i'm sure you already know um i am also well i i am in the marine corps still but um we served together once upon a time yesteryear um Obviously, we chewed the same dirt together in Afghanistan and 29 Palms and some other places, but I also have a love of Star Wars. I also have a love of books, and I think the only thing that's really different is the fact that I don't work on a horse farm, though I helped out on one once, and um, I definitely uh, know a shitload about history that gets pent up in my brain a lot um, just based on my job and my other you know, kind of focuses that I've had since I was a kid, so... I think that makes us a pretty damn good duo, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm new. I'm still new at this, so I was I was looking up French Revolution. Man, it ain't nothing but a thing. Yeah. I was looking up French Revolution jokes actually right now. Vive la France! Oh, we we we'll just be blatantly offensive towards the French people while also talking up because. There's a lot of connections we've got to draw here in um, our episode window, and I'm sure we'll get to those in a second. Speaking of French Revolution jokes, let's walk through and set the context, because you are still looking things up. <laughs> um, so start us off, Ben. We're, we're at the point where we're trying to figure out like what it was like to live in revolutionary France for your average Joe, right? That was kind of the first question we came up with. Yes, yes, that is the first question. Um, average Joe. I mean, I usually, I went with like the third estate, which is like the peasants, the farmers. I mean, you know, it it was the lowliest of low. I mean, they didn't have a great life. Uh, it seemed like that, uh, the clergy and the nobility class of France, uh, they took advantage of the third state, you know, uh, once France went to war with like the United Kingdom and, uh, when they helped us out, helped the Americans out during the American Revolutionary War, you know, they had to bring up taxes. Well, who did they make make them pay taxes more of? It would be the third estate. You know, uh, a lot of times they didn't have the food that they needed, uh, like the bread. 
taxes on bread and all this stuff went up. And a lot of their bread, half of it was made out of sawdust. And working on a horse. The thing is, go ahead. Life fucking sucked completely. Mm -hmm. Yep. For the average guy. (laughs) I mean, working on a horse farm, sawdust, you don't really want to eat that stuff. It is not great. Yeah, no. You know, I mean, uh, let's add a little sawdust to our croissant, shall we? Ho, ho, wee, wee. You know, I'm sure sure there are thousands of fucking French cooks that are plotting their death right now. Yeah, probably. Because you suggested, you know, sawdust to a brilliant croissant. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, like I said, I'm new with this. I'm still studying too. So I, if I'm wrong, please someone come back and tell me. But uh, like some of the stuff the peasants and farmers had to do is they wouldn't even have their own land. They had to work for their lords on their lord's land, you know? Yeah, I mean, they, they were honestly, like in the time, if, if we're really going to set this, imagine um, that whole feudalism thing you learned about in like middle school, maybe early high school, right? Where they're like, yeah, the leisure of the land would tell you what you're going to do with the crops and stuff. It was the same shit, but it was like 200 years too late in a lot of the cases, especially because the whole world is getting ready to shift gears in the Industrial Revolution. It just was not a good spot for France to be in, considering all the shit that they got into in the last hundred years. Yeah, I mean, and then like, and then out of the year, like one or two days out of the year, the the peasants had to work for their lords for free. It's like, what is this? Like, Black Friday for pet, like you know, having peasants work for for free. I mean, like what, like what? It's slavery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I would fucking spade a spade. It's slavery. I'm not surprised you had a little revolution. You know, ho ho ho. You know, we're not. I, I think, ironically, we just kind of combined the first two together, right? Because our, our second question that we came up with was, why did the French people decide to overthrow their rulers? Oh. And. We just answered that they were they're effectively fucking slaves at the lowest level of French society. Well, yeah, I mean they're they're getting taxed like no other. the The first and third class, or the third, second and third, uh, first and second estate weren't getting taxed. It was the third. It was the peasants. I mean they were they were treated worse than dog shit. Pardon my French, but I mean I've been cussing up a storm, dude. This is blunt force history. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, I mean, so like I would I can see why. Like why they would revolt. I mean, they, they weren't treated like human beings almost, you know? Yeah. I mean, they were, they were starving. They had famines. They had taxes raised on them. I mean, they were, like I said, they were being paid most of the, they had to pay most of the taxes. They weren't going to survive. If that kept this up, they wouldn't survive. Right. And, and so they, they had to act and you're putting, Put the context together really well so who in the third estate like who was the most instrumental group there that decided fuck it let's overthrow the king like never mind what the british did to force the magna carta never mind all this other stuff what did the french decide to do like, who, who was the ones that actually decided to say fuck it let's rock the king i think it was just the third estate the the, the peasants in general you know i mean like if you're looking for like someone uh like, are you talking about someone in general or just the people in general? Kind of a, a, a single group, if we can identify one. Do we know of anybody that might have been the one to unify? Or was it, was it literally just a collective? I think it was just a collective group. I mean, if anything, uh, it was uh, 
created a national assembly. The third estate created a national assembly who made up uh, 90% of the French population. Sorry, I'm looking at some notes right here. Uh, so 98% of the French population created a national assembly and attempted to create their own nation. Okay, and this group of so the French Republic was trying to be born before it was born, and yeah. that motherfucker got in the way. And like on basically what you're trying to yeah, say. And on like June twentieth, uh, the National Assembly declared the tennis court oath. Okay, to continue meeting until the king decided to reform France. They they just kept meeting up, you know. And I think it actually ended up and started in a tennis court, hence the name, you know. And like as like the whole tensions grew between everybody. Like the third estate and everybody up there and stuff like that, the the National Assembly created their own militia. Of course, because that's what you do when you decide to fuck with the government. Yeah, and like um, <laughs> then, of course, I think we, we also answered this question: if we've got the whole third estate kind of unifying against the first and second estate, we can assume the first and second estate remained loyal to the crown. While the rest of the first state decided to kind of overthrow it. Well, I mean, bring in the tide revolution. <laughs> I mean, if you didn't have to pay taxes and you were living life pretty dang well, yeah, I'd be staying loyal. I'd be like, hell yeah, you know. And like, <laughs> like I know, like, like Aust Aust Austria, Austria, how, how do you say? How, and, yes, and Prussia, they were allied with, if I read it correctly, King Louis or King Louis, because. They had family connected, I think, to Marie Antoinette. You know, they're like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, hey, if something happens to you or something's about to happen, we'll come in. You know, we'll come in and kick some ass, take some names. You know, so that was also another group, uh, two countries I know of that were allied with the king. Yep, that makes sense to me perfectly. Um, I think the other thing with, with the highlight with the Austrians and the Prussians too is. You know, we can harken back hundreds of years to this connection. It's kind of an ancient connection between France and the sort of Germanic peoples of the world. Because you can look all the way back to Charlemagne, and France has had influence, control, or just outright territorial ownership of those countries at one point in time um, throughout the ages. And in the future, following the French Revolution, that we'll get into kind of a little bit later and talk through some of this other stuff in this episode. Um, there's some really big connections there that are international and, and, and the ripple effects of what the French fucking peasants decided to do because they were pissed off because they weren't eating um, actually had quite a bit of ramifications. I mean, even more so, arguably, than the American Revolution did uh, about 20 years before. So we've, we've highlighted the situation. We've highlighted everything else. Um, so how did this go down? Like, walk me through Bastille Day and some of the other things because, like, I'm a little rusty on what's going on. Okay. So, you know, like I said, looking at notes. So if I'm wrong, somebody please tell me. But Bastille Day. On July 14th, 1789, a great day, a great day. A prison fortress called Bastille was overrun by a crowd. And I guess uh, they killed a few good people, uh, a governor by the name of De Lunay, or I guess, I don't know, that's how you pronounce it. Uh, We're not exactly French linguists. I barely remember what I learned in high school. Yeah. Um, 
but they pretty much they just they attacked this place to gain weapons, ammo, you know, gunpowder, whatever they could grab. That's what they did because they needed weapons. I mean, the third estate probably didn't have a lot of weapons. You know, if you think about it. I mean, if unless you count like rolling pins and you know. Yeah. Or, or the basic French. Yeah. Well, and sling and maybe <laughs> slingshots. I don't know. You know, but like. Bunch of French barks sitting in his. Oh, 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 manger, mes uh-huh, oh, oh, oui, oui. Omelette <laughs> du fromage. <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, a great place to get those weapons was at that place. And then, obviously, they, they, they followed up. They overthrew the French king. They killed Marie Antoinette. This guy named Robespierre comes in. And all kinds of shit goes down. Mm-hmm. I mean, but don't forget now, uh, after Bastille Day and all that, and it's supposedly the National Assembly, with the help of Thomas Jefferson, made a declaration of the rights of man and of the citizen. I guess you could say it's their little own constitution. You know? And then after that happened, if I'm correct, Versailles was raided by the peasants. You know, the peasants were like, let's attack the kingdom. Blah! You know, and uh, but that's when uh, Marie and Louis, the Louis escaped. You know, they accepted the well, actually, I'm sorry, Marie Antoinette escaped. Louis was like, okay, I want to live, I will share this power, you know, with you guys. And he returned to Paris after that. Yep, and then obviously, we know how it all ends. Mm-hmm. You guys, Marie Antoinette dies. Robespierre comes in, a bunch of political opponents end up dying under not so mysterious circum- excuse me, circumstances named the guillotine. It doesn't look very good for France because they descended into revolution. That's all well and good. Change needs to happen. But then you have the rest of the stuff. And I, I think we're kind of getting into the aftermath, right? Where the French people have revolted. The government's out of power. They're in that kind of interim phase where Everybody in recent times, at least the revolutions that we can count in the last 10 years, have all kind of got hung up. And they're going through what they call the reign of terror, right? Mm -hmm. And this kind of stuff doesn't end up very well at all. This is is where we start bleeding into um, that that really, really terrible follow-on phase that leads to that sort of resurgence of the loyalty. So... Reign of Terror, the Robespierre brothers are killing anybody and everybody. There's another revolt. The Robespierre brothers get fucking guillotined. And the nobles are like, fuck it. There's still a whole line of secession in here. Yeah, we can probably assuage things with the French people, but opportunistic as we are, like the French people, they decided to say, fuck it, we're coming back. And we're going to take control of this Bastille thing again. And um, they, they take, take power or try to take power back to the French government. In comes a guy named Napoleon. Of course, Napoleon was relatively little known. He had he had some renown being affiliated with the Robespierre brothers, getting to survive the house arrest period for his affiliation with them. And obviously he survived the revolution despite being a part of the military and likely being seen as part of the second estate. So this guy comes in. He stops the nobles and he um, sort of earns a de facto sort of rise to power in um, French channels. He 
starts to become more active in government and starts to gain more trust with more people. And all of a sudden, um, he kind of appoints or, or receives endorsement to appoint himself as sort of the emperor of France. Mm-hmm. Right? So Napoleon comes in. And like we kind of talked about, France as a republic is a relatively new guy. Um, it's funny because the, the same exact thing would happen to Germany about a hundred years later, or probably closer to 80 years later, honestly, but somewhere in that neighborhood, as the 1800s start to roll in and the French are going through this transition, Napoleon and new France, effectively, um, runs into a conundrum. They have two former military allies in Prussia and Austria that um, really want to bring their unstable and very militarily powerful ally back into the fold violently. Um, you obviously have the hostile English who haven't liked the French ever and up to this point in history. And you also have, you know, a rapidly expanding international domain that's calling France to greatness. All of this shit um, kind of causes Napoleon, once he actually gets the power that he strove so long for, to start a military campaign. And these series of kind of military campaigns end drastically. And it's not exactly good for France, but it also kind of keeps them together for the long run. But like we talked about earlier, a lot of that fighting and shit costs money. So the first major er, implication that we feel all the way in the United States is the Louisiana Purchase. Napoleon comes to power. He sees a need for a military campaign. He gets his forces going and finance them. He sells the he sells a huge chunk of land known as the Louisiana Purchase, basically from the Mississippi River all the way out to eastern Colorado um, to the United States, and says, "Here you go, guys. Like, here's this land. We've always worked together. We're pretty good allies. You pay us some money. We'll give you a shitload of land, and that'll let us go do our thing." The U.S takes that, and they basically say, cool, we own over half the continent now, let's just go get the rest of it. And they coin this phrase called Manifest Destiny. Manifest Destiny is connected to so many really, honestly, terrible things in U.S. history. Um, One, it led to kind of the succession and the survivability of slavery that escalated to the Civil War. Um, It also led to the further genocide and prosecution of Native Americans and multiple wars with the Spanish and the Mexicans um, other than the Civil War. And then finally, it also, you know, it led to positive developments. It helped the United States bring in more immigrant populations. It helped us um, build things like the Trans-Pacific Railroad and go on all these positive developments. But it was all driven by this terrible greed and this hunger to control everything that we just bought from the French and that we were about to basically steal from the Mexicans and the Spanish. So all things considered, if you tie it all together, like the Louisiana Purchase alone is just this really crazy fucking event. And um, it all spawned from a bunch of pissed off French peasants that decided to say, fuck the king, we're doing this thing ourselves. So I think that part, that part's really interesting. And I, you know, how I love the, all the interconnectedness history, how things touch together and how crazy this shit can be. 
Um, how, how, how do you think or what do you think about how impactful this event was? I mean, we've been talking about this. Say that again. What do you think about, like, how, do you, how, how, what's your opinion on how impactful oh, the event? this event was? Like, am I, are my connections full of shit? Oh, yeah, I just thought myself. No worries. I hate oh, no. Honestly, oh, yeah. I mean, um, honestly, if you think about it, if you didn't have the French Revolution, okay, and that came down and that led to Napoleon, okay, eventually that came down, led, led to Napoleon yeah. and he, him with his little, little wars and stuff like that. Honestly, if it wasn't for him, what would have happened to our country? Like, if we weren't able to buy the Louisiana Purchase and get all that, you know, how would our country end up being, you know, would we eventually get that land? Would we have to fight for it? You know, would we have had to fight for it just to get that land instead of, instead of us in the end buying it, you know, stuff like that, how just these little things in history, even though they're on the other side of the world, how they might connect us somehow eventually. Yeah. I mean, the whole world's connected together. Um, I think that's honestly one of the biggest reasons why we picked, the French Revolution to do our second episode because the first one was about the synchronicities and the little things that have butterfly effects and I think this is the perfect way to jump off and talk about another another one that says hey you know we have, we have all these big powers and if one makes a major muscle movement it touches everything I mean Napoleon once tried to basically recreate the Holy Roman Empire under Charlemagne and that was that that didn't really affect the United States. But to fund it all, he basically, you know, inadvertently became one of our greatest presidents in a fucked up kind of roundabout way because he gave us this huge, you know, chunk of land and chunk of territory to put all of our ambitions into. Um, to your point, I don't know if the French could have sustained a war to hold on to the Louisiana Purchase, and I don't think mm-hmm. the United States wanted to have a war over the Louisiana Purchase. But I do think, like, the massive immigrations that we saw throughout the early 1800s all the way until the early 1920s or so would have never happened if we didn't have the entire Midwest and then eventually, excuse me, and then eventually the West Coast for our people to settle into. I think um, there are a lot of critical European events that pushed our country along after the Louisiana Purchase that never would have been able to happen, or at least it would have been really contained, and we would have been like a bottle you know, getting shaken up with a bunch of carbonation in it. And we probably would have ended up like Canada, where we became this weird fucked up protectorate with a, a mixed French and English-based yeah. population. So I don't really know. I think that's an interesting interesting sort of sideways thing to go down. But the, the interconnectedness of it all and what it really shows is uh, it's crazy, man, honestly. Like, it's part of the reason why I love history because nobody really thinks about things like that anymore. How one little decision is going to hit a bunch of dominoes and those dominoes become, you know, a major world event all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Just- so as we sort of move through this thing, um, why do you think we give a shit? I mean, other than the whole Louisiana Purchase thing, why do you think we give a shit about the French, or just in general today, as Americans. Well, so why do we, why do we care about what the French went through for their revolution? 
yeah, like, wh- why does the French Revolution matter? The United States decides that we didn't purchase it all. The oh, I mean, it's 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 the fight that they had for their freedom. I mean, it's kind of almost the same fight we had with our the American Revolutionary War. You know, I mean, we were being taxed like no other. You know, on stuff like that, and like we decided to fight for our freedom. Same thing with the French. I mean, if the French didn't fight for their freedom, would they be the same country as they are today? I mean, uh, you know, whenever when I feel like whenever you have a leadership like a kingdom that is treating their people badly, the kingdom fails. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I think that's really the greater thing. It either it is. Go ahead. Um, it either fails sorry, in a horrible ahead. way where the whole country or whatever is wiped away, you know. Like it just falls apart and is in the history books, or yeah, people fight for their freedom, yeah. and they become something better, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's really really big. Um, if, if you look at even modern modern kind of, I wouldn't even call them current events. Like some people would actually call them history, but I don't think history is old enough to describe the events yet like this weird, fuzzy 1980s modern era, if you go back to like the Soviet Union, they were, I mean, they were some of the worst if it came down to mm-hmm. individual liberties. Um, you had a lot of surveillance going on of a sort of captive population. You had um, very, very robust civil rights violations, absolutely little to no like individual sort of development activities that weren't state sponsored. Um, and it's honestly a miracle a government that controlling held on for so long, but they were faced with so many conflicts. They were able to wave the red flag in there and drive people forward because they were threatened all the time. But when the red flag started to become more of a weapon to beat somebody with than a tool to remind people of why they're going through all the shit they're going through. All of a sudden, you're right. Russia became its own independent power. The rest of the Soviet republics dissolved, and the entirety of Eastern Europe went through this massive economic and social just uh, reform and just fucking crazy phase of, you know, what do we do? How do we cooperate? There's nobody here to govern us anymore. Um, and some of it ended really well, like Germany, and others ended really bad, like Kosovo. Just yeah, there was I mean, no in between. So, what do you think the biggest takeaway here is besides, like, you know, bad things happen to people that don't treat their people right? <laughs> I mean, uh, I think I asked that wrong, but I'm trying to get to like, what do you think governments can do to prevent their shit from falling apart? Oh, I well, I mean, for one, you got to treat the people like they're like equal you know you can't just like treat them like okay you're the lower class middle class high class. you can't just treat the classes differently you kind of got to treat them all equal you know and so i i mean yeah there's going to be some differences in the classes that you just can't change i guess it's just the type of the job or whatever they do for a living but you can't just like tax one group and not tax the other okay you got tax I would say tax them yeah, equally the 100%. same. Don't do more taxes for the rich, less tax for the poor or middle class and poor. No, same tax. 
equal across the board. Make it even. Make it equal. You want to talk about equality? Equal tax for everyone. You know, it's simple. Yeah, I I think another thing that you could do is, I mean, taxes aren't the only thing. I think the biggest goal for government moving forward, if we look at all these historical lessons besides just the French Revolution, I think number one is, you know, enable the individual. You know, I, I think that's, that's really what it boils down to is if a kindergarten kid is told, if you put your mind to it, you can be anything you want. Um, and that actual ideal is supported by evidence and by like various sort of um, collective things instead of just telling them that just because you're in, and you know he's just going to end up as a, as a factory worker, you know, setting those conditions for the individual to truly be whatever they decide to be is, is probably the critical thing. And no matter what your philosophy is on taxes, no matter what, what specific things you believe government should be involved in, that I'm sure we'll get there, you know, kind of later on as a part of history. But um, I think that's sort of the key thing. Set up the individual to be who the individual mm-hmm. wants to be, right? And so that, that's my critical thing is that the French were, were absolutely pre- like preventing that from happening. You were either connected or you weren't. And if you weren't, then get I mean, it. how you were talking about the Soviet Union. Oh, if you want to talk anything about that, I mean, for, for one. <laughs> I actually have a guy. I, I, want to, I want to interview him one day. But um, there's a dude, there's another podcast. It's called The Eastern Border. Really good podcast. Love this guy. His name is Kristaps. He's Latvian. And he talks to the Soviet Union thing. I honestly don't think we're qualified to capture how fucked up it was over there. Yeah. Unless we bring Kristaps in. Like this guy is, he got insane stories. Um, I really want to interview him, but. Oh, yeah, no, that's fine. This part first, right? <laughs> uh. Oh, no. You don't have anything you want to plug for today or Oh, no, say that, say that again, because I might lose you with my Wi Fi, but say that again. Okay, no worries. Do you have any plugs for like. Um, any causes or podcasts or anything you want to listen to? What do you mean I want to listen to? Like, like, like what we want to talk about? Recommend people to listen to later on. Like, what kind of content are you consuming lately? Oh, for me, per- like history. Like, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Just, just throw it out there. Oh gosh, dude. Okay. Oh, um. Well, me. I told you I was a zombie nerd. Okay. There's one called Zombies Ate My Podcast. Really good. Okay. And then one other one. Um, I'm really getting into the true crime stuff. So there's one called Case File. That's really good too. I like those two. So Zombies Ate My Podcast and Case File. What about you? Well, let's see here. Um I don't know if we record the plug section yet. I might have to come back. No, that's fine. No, um, this this is this is fine. This is perfectly fine. They know people know this happens. So this ain't supposed to. This is supposed to be people like talking. So this is going to happen. I apologize. So go ahead. In advance. Yeah. But um, I'm juggling 
certain responsibilities around the house. Um, so I might be in and out. Um, that's part of the reason why I keep asking open questions. But um, one thing specifically for me, I mean, other than the Eastern border, um, I really, really like uh, several podcasts and content. Most of them have to do with the paranormal realm. Um, I'll throw out a good plug to the Ghost Story guys. Really positive, um, really positive podcast. Really positive dudes. Both in the Ian Gibbs days and the Paul Bessel days, they're both very, very good people. Um, I also really like um, who is it? Mission Spooky, um, Kiki, uh, JC, and Cord. Those three dudes are just kicking ass and taking names over there in uh, Western PA. So good hearing from them when they put out episodes but um i also wanted to take a second because as you know neither of us are trying to host a sort of patreon thing to fund this thing we're all kind of doing this independently on our own um so i wanted to plug charities instead um this month is still national down syndrome awareness month so um instead of donating to a patreon if listeners would like they can go to the National Down Syndrome Society, um, located, I believe it was www.ndss.org, and we could probably work our way through that and um, throw a donation their way. Um, Down syndrome is still a very prevalent effect on people these days. Um, there's still quite a few people out there, both in this country and around the world, that are, you know, having down kids and raising them and working them through all the difficulties that come with that. Um, so definitely try to take care of them and constantly remind ourselves that they're out there, not just push them off to the fringes of society. So um, good cause. Donate to them if you want to donate to us. And um, I think that's it for my plug. So um, I'll go ahead and think we can probably call it here. Um, oh, no, wait, one more plug. Next month is Autism Awareness Month. That one strikes close to home, but we'll save that for the first April episode. You got anything to close with, uh, Ben? Oh, uh, well, I have a joke. Oh, you have a joke. I have a French Revolution joke. Oh, you found just, one. I, oh, dude, I found one in the beginning of this whole thing. You just got to give me a few minutes to get it back to where I was. <laughs> Okay. That's probably the French thing, the most French thing you've said all day. Oh, I have it, but they must get it back. Give me a second. <laughs> um, oh, here we go. What did the uh, uh, aristocrat say when he heard the French Revolution happening in the streets? Um, bonjour. Oh, what a peasant surprise. Oh, that wasn't a French Revolution joke. That was a French Revolution pun, man. Yeah, you like that? Oh, I, 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 I looked this up. I'll try to tell a joke every time we do something. Okay, that sounds fine to me, man. Okay. <laughs> All right, man. That was the Blunt Force History Podcast. You're probably confused as shit right now, but so are we. Tune in next time to figure out what kind of shit happens next.